What is up, y'all? Welcome in episode 30 of the Seattle Superpod, brought to you by the That Being Said podcast and Sports on Tap. I'm your co-host, Sammy Georgeur. And I'm George Georgeur, and we're coming at you recorded, but we did come at you live and direct from the Sant Hub. Today, we had a special guest on, Lofa Tatupu Seahawks legend. Sammy, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Seahawks legend and uh, also a college football legend, two-time national champion, with Pete Carroll and the USC Trojans, then a three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro in the NFL, um, ends up playing for Pete Carroll's last season of his NFL career too, which is kind of kind of cool how that worked out. Um, awesome podcast! Don't forget to check out his company, Zone in CBD. I believe the website is zoneincbd.com. So go check that out. Um, he's really passionate about it and how it can really help people. Um, so you got to go check that out for us and for Lofa. We appreciate him coming on. It was a really fun one today. Uh, you can follow us on all platforms at Sant Seattle, S-O-N-T Seattle. Um, and, you know, people probably wonder, what's Sant Seattle? George, what is Sant? It's down for Sports on Tap. And this is Sports Radio. Redefined. Enjoy the podcast and a quick word from one of our sponsors. And don't forget to visit on seattle.com as well much love all right we're live now uh welcome in to the seattle super podcast uh, episode 30 and today uh we're welcoming in our guest Lofa Tatupu, former Seahawk, uh, three-time Pro Bowler, All-Pro. I know two-time national champion, too. Uh, welcome in. Right on, fellas. I appreciate you having me. Of yeah, course. Pleasure is all ours, man. And uh, I guess we, you're also USC Trojan, so uh, we'll also... Oh, I can't hear you. Oh, can't hear me. I say also you. Uh, you I was gonna say we didn't mention USC Trojan, even though uh, you know you're a Pac-12 rivals of ours. I'm a, I'm a Husky, so that's why we didn't mention the Trojans there. All I heard was a Husky. Uh, it's breaking up. The mic's breaking up. Can you hear mine? I hear yours. You okay. Might have to repeat the question for me. <laughs> well, we have a Husky here. His will work in a second. We have a Husky here, so I guess we're from Seattle, so we don't mention the USC Trojan part. I just say national champion, but uh, my brother here is a Trojan, or is a, is, a, is a Husky, so not a big fan of the Trojans, but congratulations on the two national championships. Hey, man, we, you know, both of our programs need to get back to the top, you know. Uh, we haven't been there since, what, 03, 04, and uh, you guys, what, 91, so... I hope I hope both of them get back to the top. At least, I mean, you guys went to the playoffs recently. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my mic is still muted. Oh, his mic's muted. Now. That's why. Yeah. Nope. No. Can you hear me now or no? Still not. Still can't. No. no. <laughs> Just me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll move the mic closer to him in right. a second. Uh, yeah, the, the Huskies did make the playoffs too, but the whole Pac-12 is having a little bit of struggle recently. Um, yeah. Hopefully it turns around soon, though. Yeah, I mean, we got to keep the faith. Uh, just you know, if, if my team's not in, I want to see at least somebody from the pack, you know, represent. And so it was good to see the Huskies go uh, a couple years back with uh, Chris Pete and them. 
Yeah. Do you, uh, being in Seattle for part of your career, do you have a little bit of, I know it's probably tough going to USC, but do you have a little bit of love for the Huskies too, just being around the area? I definitely have love and respect for the Huskies. As long as they're not playing my Trojans, I'm rooting for them. But then That's it's fair. hard though, right? Because you got, you got people saying, well, no love for, you know, Wazoo. So I cheer for both squads as long as they're not playing my Trojans. That's fair. That's fair. I know. I mean, I could see the no love for Wazoo. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Is this any better? Oh, it's much better. That's all there. right, all right. There we go. I had to leave the studio and come back in. You know, the funny thing is, we're sitting right next to each other too, so I could have just talked louder. I love the dedication. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, before we get into a lot of football and stuff too, I want to hear about Donut TV. Um, I know you're a co-founder of the company. It's uh, what you're working on right now. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I mean, you're hearing a lot of, you know, people advocate, especially athletes, for CBD. And I'm telling you, my journey, I've been doing using CBD for about three and a half years now, and it's just seemingly every day keeps getting better. I keep becoming a better version of myself. And I think, you know, that's when people, they, they see me back in 2007, all pro, and seemingly living my best life, but... Um, with the injuries, the concussions, all of that, it, it, it takes you really away from yourself, that mind-body connection, which is why it's so important for the athlete. But for the everyday person and how it relates is just being more in tune with being in the moment. And that's why we call it zone in. So whether you're an athlete who's used to being in the zone or an artist who's used to being in the zone, coders, gamers, they're used to being in the zone, right? Or an everyday person that just wants to be more in the moment. Um, that's how it resonates to them. And um, yeah, the mental clarity and, you know, it all starts with, you know, your thoughts, fellas, that in turn becomes your actions and that becomes your habits and ultimately your life. And so with that, I have seen myself, you know, when they use that word potential, I always got a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. I never knew what they were talking about because I never reached my potential, even on the field. I don't believe not until now in my everyday life, how I'm living it. Um, did I realize what that word meant? I like that. And, and, and what got you into the industry? I mean, like, did you have somebody come up to you and talk about the projects, or did you come about it yourself? I don't know what happened. I had been hearing a lot about it towards the end of my career. I started hearing about CBD and how it was just helping all people, all you know, with all sorts of issues that they were dealing with, and. That was around 2012-ish, but I didn't see how it could relate to me. Upon coming out here, coaching, and then getting into the industry in terms of real estate um, and hemp and cannabis, I started hearing more and more unbelievable stories, success stories of people just, I mean, like I said, living their best life. So with that in mind, I was like, you know what, I'll give it a try. You know, um, as opposed to pain meds or anti-inflammatories over the counter um, and even sleep, sleep meds, which, yep. you know, I use throughout my career. Um, and, you know, within days to a week, it was just like a total transformation um, back to, you know, a superior me. And, you know, one that I hadn't known since. It's just that fountain of youth. I hadn't known this feeling 
um, or mindset since I was, I'd say, high school, college into the NFL, you know. And um, I just think back now with, you know, how quickly it helps me recover from my workouts and um, just stay in the moment, you know, present moment with everything else in terms of family life, in terms of work, um, interviews, just uh, everything. I can't imagine how much better I could have been had I been using this or had I found it during my career. Yeah, and, and uh, in general, you had such a good career, too. So, like, even though you said you never reached that potential, your career was so outstanding, you know, Pro Bowls, All Pros, uh, Super Bowl appearance, and you still you didn't feel like you unlocked that potential. But, if, like, with products like this, at least you know that down the line you can help athletes and future athletes really unlock that potential and, you know, get zoned in, like you're saying. So even though you say you might have not felt it, but you're leaving an impact for for the next generation. Absolutely. And even, you know, the everyday person just um, because what you you can't make claims, right? FDA is yet to make regulations. So we always stay clear of claims. But, you, you know, it does directly regulate and promote or support healthy cortisol levels. Cortisol is the hormone that's released when we are stressed. So everyone has a different reaction to stress. And so if you can regulate that and, and, you know, not, I used to turn to stress eating. That's how I got up to like 275 pounds, you know, like I was 235, I'm 235 right now. But, you know, after ball, you know, I noticed just the habit of eating because just when we're, you know, we're rushing to eat lunch before we get out to the practice field. And so you, you know, you don't get hungry until about 20 minutes of eating. And so if you're putting down three or four plates, okay, that's fine when you're young and you have a high metabolism and you're burning it off right after. <laughs> well, what happens when you're 37 and you're going to go sit on the couch after you're done eating those four plates? So, you know, those, it created some some tough habits to break, but that's what was cool is just being in the moment made me realize and recognize those kind of, you know, traps or pitfalls um, that are promoted from stress. Definitely. And then like, even like, for, for example, I feel like the industry has become such mainstream, right? Like a lot of people are using it now. For example, our mother, she has a herniated disc in her back and she took, you know, all the pain pills and uh, all the going to the chiropractor and stuff. And the only thing that really makes her feel good is CBD. (laughs) Like, it's the only thing that actually works. Well, it's, it's, it's telling you something because, you know, We'll get into football right after this one because I don't want to take up all your guys' time talking about CBD and zone in CBD. But uh, we have what's called an ECS, endocannabinoid system. And it's a system comprised of cell receptors throughout our brain and body, CB1 and CB2 in our brain and our body. They transmit signals back and forth. And so this is something that is natural, that has a direct response on those you know, um, those signals, those transmitters. Mm-hmm. And so if, and that's why we even call our product, a lot of people just call their CBD, CBD. We call our product balance because it's okay. said to promote homeostasis without that system, throughout that system. So with that in mind, you know, try to educate, you know, the consumer on what they, what it is they're taking. Yeah. And uh, I think that point, point my, my girlfriend is in a this program right now. So this is part of, you know, she's all into how these things help your brain and how your body recepts to it. And, you know, we're talking about, I was talking to her about zone in CBD yesterday because you're coming on the podcast and she was showing me about all the different way, all the different receptors that go through somebody's body that CBD like basically has receptors to. And it's pretty insane that it's basically like every pinpoint of the body 
and yeah. how how I feel like people don't really know this that much about it because at first yeah. it used to be a different stigma. It seemed more like it was in a like it was more like it was marijuana or it's just yep. you know. But now when you do the research, it really is yeah. different. Well, hemp and cannabis, they're of the same genus of plants. So they're both considered cannabis plants. The difference is the varying amounts of THC, you know, the the happy or what they like to call the psychoactive effect, you know, or component of the plant. So um, industrial hemp, very low to little uh, THC, 0.3% or under to be considered legal federally. And then, um, you know, uh, cannabis or people come to know as marijuana has, you know, a high amount of THC. Very interesting. Yeah. See, it's, it's it, the, it, there is a little bit of difference between them. And it, I guess at first people didn't really know that. And now it's becoming more of a known thing in the industry. I mean, even, even the name zone in to, yeah. to fight the stigma. Cause you say hemp people stay as they're all oh, weed zone out and oh, kind of zone out more. Than, yeah. <laughs> no. so there, hey, there's a purpose. I mean, even the whole, the symbol and then the logo, it goes into a, a deeper meaning. Um, I've been dreaming about this for three years and just happy to put something out there that's helping a lot of people. It's just impacting their lives positively. So, um, you know, couldn't be more grateful. Yeah. And then like starting a business was again, congratulations on it. And it's like, do you feel like being in business, man, it's like, it gets that competitive fire going again too. Right. I mean, like we're oh, in business, it, like it, it feels like you're playing, playing a sport cause you're competing 24 hours a day. Every, I mean, yeah, there's no, it's 24, 7, 365. There's, there's no days off Saturday, Sunday. I'm out trying to get more content, you know, uh, for the website or for, you know, social media, just staying, you know, staying relevant, you know, cause there, it is a very crowded space. Right. But, um, it does bring back that, that competitive nature and, um, it's, it's fun. And that you're always trying to get better, you know, had a couple calls with email marketing before this. And then I have another one to go over numbers after this. So it's like just continually find ways to get better. And that's how you win. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's kind of like getting the, getting the training back and film study and discussing and all, you know, reading yep. through things. It, it's back to, it's back to that competitive, competitive life. Well, I love it. And we'll, we'll bring it back up before we sign off today too. Cause you know, I, I do think it's a really cool product and I was going through the website yesterday and it's something that, I'm planning on trying myself. So congratulations on starting that. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I don't think everybody probably finds something post-career that they're passionate about. So it's really, it's pretty awesome that you did. I mean, it, to, quite simply, thank you very much. That is very true, but it's just helping people. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people can, you know, be passionate about that, you know, and uh, just um, that's something that, you know, I learned from my parents growing up, but then also, you know, very much so this organization, the Seattle Seahawks, um, they were at the forefront of, you know, a lot of charitable, you know, donations and events and, um, you know, they do it right. So yeah. I, it's just, I was lucky to even end up in Seattle. Well, going on, uh, I mean, first of all, what was the experience like getting drafted? I'm sure you've, you've been to the Pacific Northwest playing in the Pac-12, but getting drafted by the Seahawks and just the, the your career as a Seahawk, what does it mean to be part of the Seahawks family to you? I mean, like compared to what what you've seen from other organizations, you know, what separates being a Seahawk and being like a Seahawk for life? 
Um, I think you got to start with the the late great Paul Allen and you know yeah. his standard for excellence and and how he lived life and I think it was over a billion dollars donated to charity by Paul and you know and his foundation and so you know that that sets the standard for everybody to follow and so we had a great example of what a true leader is um, in terms of draft um, just you know got lucky that they needed a middle linebacker at the time but <laughs> I remember in 2003 you know we had. When we were flying in to play the Huskies, I think it was in October, and it was just gorgeous out. I mean, the sun was out, planes were landing on Lake Washington. I had never seen anything like that. And so the guy sitting next to me, Mercer Island great, David Kirkman, and he he got drafted by the Hawks too a year after me. So I was like, I was like, Kirkman, wake up. I go, yo, you left this for LA. (laughs) And uh and he was like, just wait till he was sleeping, right? You know, it was nothing, nothing he hadn't seen. He goes, just wait till tomorrow. And he went back to sleep as we were landing. And I was like, all right. So we wake up and, you know, we had went around the town and saw Bellevue and everything. It was gorgeous. And so Kerman comes up to breakfast. It's pouring out. And he's like, you still want to, you still want to play here? Or you still think it's beautiful? I go, I hope that the Seahawks draft me. And that was in October of 03. And um, a year and a half later, you know, I was I was fortunate enough to get my name called by the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's such a common story for the first time people come to see Seattle, and it's like, oh, look at the green, look at the water and stuff, and then you get sucked in. But has the, you're th- telling me the rain hasn't weighed on you yet? No, <laughs> that's no. Good. I'm yeah. telling you, I I didn't realize when I did move back home to Massachusetts because that's where me and my wife were from. Uh, we grew up there, but um, I didn't realize how much I missed it out here. And I mean, not just the football, you know, we get spoiled as fans the last decade that the Hawks oh, yeah. have been, right? <laughs> you know, we got you can't take that for granted, man. Wins are hard to get in the NFL. And, um, you know, they've done a phenomenal job, John and Pete and everybody in that organization. But, um, you know, just June, July, and August, I don't, I don't know of a better, more beautiful place than, than, than oh, yeah. here. And I mean, I no, think no, you guys can agree. Yeah, we can agree with that easily. I mean, there's it can't be beaten. The weather, everything. So, but um, back to the Seahawks for a second. So, you talked about their organization, right? And how how great of an organization it is. And I feel like you hear this a lot from so many different players. And I know it starts from you said Paul Allen, but I mean, there has to be a lot more to it, right? It seems like a lot of former players come back to Seattle. A lot of former players get involved with the organization. Is that like something they groom people to do while you're in the organization? Or is it just like a natural flow after? It's just, they fall in love with the place. They fall in love with the people, the twelves. I mean, that is an extension of family, you know, um, I can't even tell you how many games they won for us mm-hmm. in my career. Uh, the Giants comes to mind my rookie year with those 10 false starts. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it feels like family. And, um, and again, for a lot of guys like myself, this is stuff you haven't seen before. And just, you know, um, just an immense amount of beauty, just mountains, you know, the water right there. Um, it's, it's incredible. And I, you know, more and more people are finding out about it. So we got to keep, we got to keep it quiet. <laughs> it's becoming a packed area <laughs> right and expensive <laughs> a lot of people know about it yeah. um, i got a couple questions for you uh just just some fun ones that uh actually a couple buddies of mine that had as well um okay. i got one is who is the most underrated player 
that you ever played with? That I played with? Mm-hmm. God. Okay. Tough one. Off- offensively, I'd have to say Chris Gray. Um, yeah, Chris Gray, offensive lineman. He played about 14 years. He was big, strong, fast, and as, as tough as there possibly is. Never complained. Never, never talked, actually. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Chris Gray, I mean, you know, when Sean was putting up a lot of those numbers, um, he had, I think in 05, I think he might have even had a higher yards per carry behind, you know, uh, Gray and and Locklear than, than two Hall of Famers, Hutch and uh, Walt. Now, that's because, obviously, you're loading the side, you know, where Walt and Hutch are, and Tobek is a problem for anybody anywhere he goes. But those, I would say, yeah, they um, – Probably even those three, that side of the line, they they got a little overshadowed by two Hall of Famers. And, you know, even Glad Hutch is in now. I, I thought he was a first ballot guy. He gave me problems every practice. Uh, but what was sad to see him go to Minnesota, though. Um, yeah. Defensively, I think the same rang true for um, Leroy Hill. You know, uh, when we brought in Julian Peterson, I think Julian and myself got a little too much attention. And um, Leroy's put up some phenomenal stats over the years. And, um, you know, this is one of the toughest guys I ever, I ever laced them up with. You know, I feel like that offensive line was the greatest offensive line I've ever seen as far as a football fan. Uh, and maybe because it was like my – it was just my high school days, and it was just like so fun to watch Sean Alexander get the ball, and I felt like got six yards of carry. I know he didn't average that, but it was like it was like clockwork. You knew that he, if you needed a first down, hand the ball off three times, and you're getting it. Oh man, it was incredible. Um, and yeah, and how many teams could hand it off on third and six and pick it up on a run? <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, that offense. It was largely you know attributed to. Um, me and the defense putting up the stats we did. We led the league in sacks. That doesn't happen unless the opposing offense is playing from behind and has to drop back that many times. So, um, you know, it was it was a fun year, and it was incredible to watch, you know, guys of that talent. I mean, them, the Kansas City Chiefs had a really good O-line. And, I mean, you know, with Rofe and Shields were Hall of Famers, kind of like Walton and Hutch. And then they had Wagman at center, who was similar to Tobek, could run. And then on the other side, Brian Waters. Now, this guy's a seven-time Pro Bowler. I think he'll eventually get in the Hall of Fame, but he kind of got overshadowed for Pro Bowls because um, they were sending Rofe and um, and Shields. Yep. Cool. Well, I got a question for you. So two, you played with two great coaches, right? And both – Holgram's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but I believe he eventually will be. How is he not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two Super Bowl appearances, or maybe three Super Bowl three. appearances. Yeah, in uh, Super Bowl uh, championship with the Packers. Yeah, and he's not in there. But and you also played for Pete Carroll. What, what could you say for like? They're both outstanding coaches. I, Pete's not in the Hall of Fame yet either, right? I don't believe so. He will be eventually. Yeah. What What do you? What's the contrast between the two different coaches? Even though they're both, you know, like legends definitely style you know um you know homer's more disciplinarian you know just you know the even just the the way um we were we thought about the game you know was like hey you know great teams they don't beat themselves like don't get the unnecessary penalties don't 
all those little things. It's hard enough to beat the guy across from you. Don't yeah. give them any extra chances. And, and Pete is a very more upbeat, like, hey, that mistake's not going to kill us, which he's absolutely right. They're both right, you know. But, you you know, you don't win without confidence. And I think both of them, where they do share similarities, they both instill confidence in their own ways. And um, it translates to game day. But, um, yeah, I hope that they're both in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's, it's incredible what they've both been able to do. Uh, you know, Homer taking two different teams to the Super Bowl. That's incredible. And then, um, and then Pete, a decade of, you know, just dominance out here in the West. So yeah. hopefully we get another decade, right? I know he wants to. Hope, we hope so, man. <laughs> what year did what, Pete was at? Were you at USC with Pete? And yeah. with the Seahawks? Yeah. Well, in three and four, I was with Pete. And then I was the NFL in five. And then he came in in 10 um, for my last year. Okay, okay, well, you did get a run You're college coach in the, in the pros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was just great to see that, you know, his, his style, you know, he knows how to win. And, you know, so, like, yeah. when a lot of people say, oh, he's rah, rah, it was, and, hey, it translates to wins. So, you want to yep. win or not? <laughs> yeah, one of my uh, biggest frustrations sometimes is, you know, you can get stuck on the Twitter world sometimes as a fan and, People complain about calls that coaches make and all this. I'm one of those people. Just, I'm, I'm so thankful to see Hawks have somebody like Pete Carroll. And, you know, you've been a pretty good fan base. You've been a lucky player to have these great coaches over the last, you know, over the last 15 years. Uh, yeah. We really haven't had a situation where we had, you know, an awful organization, which a lot of people have to deal with in other cities. <laughs> Year in and year out, just hoping, right? They they cling on yeah. to hope, and that's yeah. like you know what we have to realize. We expect, like, yeah. and we have to be grateful that we can have those kind of expectations. Where everybody else is just like, man, I hope we make the playoffs this year. You know, <laughs> it's a letdown for us when we don't, which has happened like once, I think. And so it's it's incredible what they've been able to do. And even then, it was a winning season. It wasn't wasn't like an eight and eight season or seven and nine. It was. It was nine and seven, I think, or even you were a field goal away from ten and six. Even though it wouldn't have changed us going to the playoffs, you know, you always want to finish with 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 that extra win. Yeah, it always looks better for the record too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, because you did everything you could, right? Ten and six. It's it's like it's not often that a team doesn't make the playoffs at ten and six. Yeah, it wasn't a major flaw or anything with the team. It's just how the no. how it worked out that way. Yeah. Um, I got another question here. Uh, it's an interesting one. Who would you say I can ask this in two different ways, but who is one of the hardest one-on-one tackles you've ever had to make? I mean, everybody. Uh, <laughs> one on one tackles tough in general in NFL. Just, I mean, yeah, it's everybody's good. I, I know that I've always came back to Fred Taylor. Um, oh, wow. the Jacksonville Jaguars, like six one, two thirty, two thirty-five. And the the problem here. You, usually you get you get one or the other. A guy can juke you and outrun you, or he can run you over. Now, give me the run you over type any time of the week before the shifty guy, because um, at least I know what I'm going up against. <laughs> but, you know, he can do both. And so when you, you know, he had no shortage of options, and he knew when you were on your heels, he knew when you were on your toes, leaning for that kill shot. It was just, you know – that was tough, man. And that was, and maybe it was because of my, I don't even think it was just not because it was my first game ever. That was my first game as a pro, but 
you know, because I went against I went against Marshawn in college. I went against Steven Jackson, who could, you know, potentially do the same. Um, Steve wasn't as fast as uh, as Fred, though. So it's just that matchup, you know, that's what we call a nightmare. <laughs> you know, I, I remember Fred Taylor well because I used to draft him every year in fantasy football. And if when he was healthy, there was not a better back in the league. He wasn't healthy that many years for his career. But, God, when he was healthy, no one put up numbers like he did. He was so good. He was churning out 1,300, 1,500-yard seasons, you know, his first, like, three or four seasons out the gate. And so with, like, with the touchdown numbers to, to back it up, about, you know, averaging 10 or 12 touchdowns per per year so yeah he was he was a complete back i mean you know ladanian thomason uh marshall falk <laughs> there's you know adrian peterson you went, against, you went against some good ones <laughs> yeah they weren't bad they weren't yeah bad, you know even but going to get shot every day in practice right yeah MVP. I mean, and sean alexander was was different i mean i guess from um that's a good question here is from our perspective, it, it, Sean seems just like a different type of running back, right? He's not the like fast elusive guy. He's also, he didn't necessarily bulldozer people over from like a optics point of view. It was like that just consistent, smooth and s- slow, but smooth play. What was different about Sean? Cause I know you had to go against him a lot. What was different about him compared to other running great running? He backs? was just, he was just a pure, you know, a pure runner. Um, you know, his anticipation of where the hole was going to be and, and when to hit the accelerator, um, you know, because he did. He broke – I remember Cardinals, he broke like a 94-yarder my rookie year. And, you know, we all thought, just like you're saying, you know, he's not the fleetest of foot. We were like, oh, he's going to get caught. And then I was like, oh, man, he's jogging into the end zone. So it was uh, – It looks fast, but it is. <laughs> yeah, right? No yeah. one's catching but It doesn't look fast, but nobody's catching him. And that, that was what kind of was a shock. But – um. You know, if you always if you go back and watch the film, you know, one, that old line was pretty good. But uh, he did a great job of staying north and south. You know, he didn't um, he didn't take a ton of tackles for a loss, you know. And so guys like him, Edge James, you know, you love watching run the ball because I remember I had Edge in the backfield for like a four yard loss. It turned into a one yard loss and because he turned in my arms and just backpedaled through me. And finally, I just got out of the way and let him fall. Cause I was like, man, he's just driving me backwards. But uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of good running backs, you know, in that day. Yeah. I, I feel like part of a reason we didn't find Sean Alexander to be fast. And this is just like an optics thing. I felt like his shoulders pads look so big. They're too big. <laughs> and, and you got the, you got the elbow pads on too. So yeah. The visual. Visually. Yeah, visually. Yeah, visually. <laughs> That's too much. Um. I get one one thing that I did ask, and I want to ask you before we get going to. I do want to ask you about this year's Seahawks, but first, I I messaged you this question, um, and it's something I like to ask: um, is three of your favorite Seahawks moments, and that could be during your career, that could be watching them win the Super Bowl recently. But what are your three favorite Seahawks moments? Well, I'm gonna give four. Okay, perfect. <laughs> That's even better. I like it. <laughs> Obviously, you know. Them bringing the title back to Seattle, um, it was just finally seeing, you know, the city get the love and, and you know, respect it deserves. So that was obviously number one. Um, two would have to be getting drafted, you know. No, no. Two would be winning the NFC Championship with my teammate, no five. Um, 
And then the last two, three would be drafted. And uh, that was a special day, just getting your name called. And then raising the 12-man flag. I didn't realize, you know, when they asked me to do it, I didn't realize how big my family got to go up there with me. I didn't realize how big of a moment it really was. And for my kids who never got to see me play, um, you know, them just, you know, being embracing that moment with me, it was special to me. Yeah, and I I shared that photo yesterday on our story to, you know, for for the questions and stuff. And when I was looking at it, I was thinking about that, actually. And I, I was thinking, how cool would that be, being a former Seahawk, going up there, you're on the top of the stadium, it's always on TV, the crowd is going wild. And like you said, you get to bring your family up there. It seems like a really, you know, it's one of those, I feel like it's just one of those goosebump type of moments it seems like at least because it's like you're back in your stadium with the city that like you played for the team you played for and just seeing that looks like a surreal moment yeah and then um the hawks flew in uh leroy and julian too so it was us you know reunited in that stadium which you know no one does it alone so um it was it was awesome to uh to share that moment with them i love that that's pretty awesome actually um before we get going today i wanted to ask how how old are your kids nine and five two boys two boys so were they like when you took them out there they're like man that is cool yeah they were (laughs) they just thought they were like wait you used to play football i was just like oh man well i guess it's better that they don't know that but um yeah so my uh my oldest you know it's, it's crazy how just night and day one my oldest is into music and, you know, arts, which is incredible because he's teaching me a lot of things that I've never, you know, had my eyes open to or experienced. And then the youngest is Little Lofa. Don't be surprised if about 14 years from now, 15 years from now, you see him in college playing playing football. That'd be awesome. <laughs> is he already he's ready to run through walls? And just he's run too around. young. Oh, he, yeah. He's already running yeah, through walls and people. Uh, but he's, <laughs> he's uh, he'll be six. He's, he's got to wait another year before he can play organized football. Yeah. And and how do, how do you feel about that? I know a lot of people, you hear different opinions about, you know, the the kids playing football. Are you hesitant about it? Are you you feel comfortable with it? What's your opinion on just letting, letting the youth get into football? And, like, maybe is there an age that you feel most comfortable? I always said that my kids have to – they have to love it because yeah. otherwise they're just – they're not out there for the right reasons – they're going to hurt somebody or get get hurt themselves and that's not cool. So, but um yeah, I he already has just a natural um demeanor or, you know, spirit towards football, you know. He's you I got to put him in that or wrestling, rugby, something. He's <laughs> he's a little wild one, man. That's awesome. It's it's cool to see that, you know, but I like that you're saying there there's two different types of kids and they're both one's teaching you things you've never seen before and the other one's just (laughs) the mini you it's pretty cool how you know i don't know just a few generations every kid's different and yeah you grow up and see how they how they go and uh you just gotta you just gotta support them the best as possible that's all you can do whatever whatever they're passionate about just keep pushing them towards that so music with my oldest and then the youngest he's still trying to figure it out but any sport we pick up any ball baseball basketball he just wants to play so i love I that i know i got an idea of what he's gonna do <laughs> <laughs> some type of sport <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i do have some questions regarding this seahawks team right now i mean i know yeah. a lot of people in seattle we we love our seahawks um we obviously have 
the legends right now playing for the team. There's a lot of them to name, but of course you got Russell Wilson's and Bobby Wagner's of the team and KJ Wright, some long, you know, people have been there for a while. Um, what, like, what is your thoughts on this season, upcoming season's team? Um, you know, what are some keys that you see for this team? Just give me like your overall, you know, two cents on the 2020 Seahawks. I think we did an incredible job in, in you know, um, free agency and, you know, and the draft as well. I'll get to the draft in a second. But free agency, you know, addressing some, you know, concerns up front for that O-line, getting some depth for the D-line, bringing guys like Mayawa, Irvin back. I think they had eight sacks a piece. So that's, you know, 15, 16 sacks between the two of them. Um, That's production. And then that's fresh legs. And then they know the system. They know the city because they've been here before. And, you know, championship caliber, right? They were on that first, you know, uh, Super Bowl team. So they know, you know, the organization and how we operate. Um, You know, that's going to be helpful. I'm I'm still holding out hope that we can get Clowney back. Um, (laughs) I'm still holding out hope. But, um, you know, and then. We got two more DNs and Taylor and um, Robinson in the draft, you know. So uh, I, I see a lot of depth there, and that's that's eerily similar to the 13 season when, you know, Cliff and Mike B they weren't even starting on that that team. Two future All Pros weren't starting on that Super Bowl team, you know. Of course, they would go on to start, you know, a year or two later, and you know, put up a ton of sacks between the two for the, for the next six, seven years. But, but that's where you know, it takes me mindset wise is that we, we are really deep up front. We built, got some pieces on the back end, you know, so excited about that. Um, they're saying Legion of Boom 2.0 a little too soon to, to say that, you know, my, <laughs> you know, I don't, that's, that's some lofty praise. Good pickups with Diggs last year and Dunbar this year. It's good pickups, but I agree a little, let's, let's pump the brakes on uh, Legion of Boom 2.0. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, and then, um, you know, got Brooks. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see with what might not be an off season, you know, how quickly he can pick up the playbook. And I know he's ready to play. I mean, his, his tape, 100 tackles, uh, 20 of them, one fifth of his tackles were for tackles for loss. I mean, that's that's directly impacting the game. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, and, and he reminds me a lot. You know, I know a lot of people have been asking me, oh, you know, what's going on? Is that KJ's replacement? Is that Bobby's replacement? It looks to me like a Kendrick's you know, uh, a younger Michael Kendricks. And so uh, we know how valuable, you know, uh, Kendricks was. And, you know, hopefully he gets healthy and we can get him back too. Uh, No shortage of talent all across that defense, which is how it was when they went to the Super Bowl. And then, um, you know, offensively, hopefully, the you know, the running backs. I'm excited about the kid. We got the tight end, six, you know, 11, however tall he is. But he only dropped one pass. was uh, Kobe Parkinson uh, from Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So him um, and then Lewis, the guard, excited about that to get some depth up front. Um, but DJ Dallas, the average six yards of carry, that's a lot of yards to average, <laughs> you know. So you almost wonder why they wouldn't give him the ball more, you know, down yeah. at Miami. Um, but yeah, excited. And hopefully, you know, Carson, um, you know, he comes back healthy. And then um, I'm not sure, Penny, it looks like he might start on Pup to, to start the season. So, you know, we'll have plenty of reps for those young guys to catch up. And that's, I got excited about that, seeing picking up a running back in the draft. I feel like the Seahawks have done a really good job of kind of having enough pieces for that running back section that we kind of rotate the right pieces. It's a lot by committee. Who's playing? I mean, last year we had a couple of games, I think, where 
uh, Travis Homer was coming in and making some big runs. Uh, Seahawks, we've been, done a good job recently of always making sure there's someone available in that spot. And I think that's, that's important. Yeah. And if Carson can just stay healthy, you know, I mean, <laughs> I know injuries are part of the game, but I think he reeled off like 1200 or 1300 yards last year with, you know, yeah. two games to go. It's like, yeah, you know, guy doesn't get enough respect for, for, you know, what he does. Um, but you know, every bit is tough and, you know, he, he's in that mold of that Marshawn Lynch. Speaking of Marshawn Lynch, I saw a report the other day said he would entertain and, you know, so would, you know, the Hawks entertain a, a reunion for one more year. And I think if Marshawn actually trains, because, you know, there's no chance. He was, look, he tried. Why he's, there's no chance. He hopped off the couch and walked out there, threw some pads on. And ran oh, yeah. Those, you know, three, three teams. I mean, that's that's just what Beast Mode does. But if, you know, you give him a little heads up, like, yo, you know, dust off the cleats and run a little, I guarantee you he puts up a lot of yards. Yeah, and he- and even if he's just a goal line option, I mean, we saw him come off the couch and just drag people into the end zone. So that Philly run, I mean, oh my he carried God. like three people in. He, he was stopped, you know, dead to rights. Three yard line, four yard line. He could, I, I still believe he can take three years off, come back, put on the pads, and still get that those two yards if you need him. Yeah. I play with him. I know. I know he could do it. <laughs> yeah. See, I believe, you know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I felt I felt bad for Penny last year, man. He just started coming on and just just that injury, and it's an ACL. It's devastating injury, but I th- hopefully he can come back. It's not what he used to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've seen guys bounce back. Hopefully, he has the Adrian Peterson 2012 season, right? Oh, we hope so. If we can win the MVP of the league, I mean, <laughs> we'll take that. ACL comes back better than it was before. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be happy with that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw what uh, – I don't know how involved you are with the uh, the dark web of Seattle sports, but did you see what happened yesterday with uh, Miles Garrett? No. All right, this is a great story for you. So – I think you'll enjoy this one. You'll enjoy this story and how crazy – this is in, how insane us Seahawks fans can get. So there was a guy on, uh, you know, the website Reddit where everyone goes on their forums and talks about different uh, things. So on – there's a guy on Seahawks Reddit who broke the Justin Britt news that Justin Britt was going to get uh, cut a couple, what was it, a week, two weeks ago? So yeah. he became, yeah, so he kind of became a little bit of an authority figure on, uh, on Reddit. So yesterday he posted that a huge Seahawks trade and he has someone inside the organization and he was, it was going to go down. So KJR AM called him and he went on Softy's show and announced that the Seahawks were going to be acquiring Miles Garrett later that afternoon, which resulted in myself putting out a video about it, all of Seahawks Twitter, and it became the number one trending topic in the United States. No way. And, yep, so later on in the afternoon, he went on there and uh, announced that he was just a Packers fan who wanted to get back at Seahawks fans for the fail Mary, and it was all elaborate prank. Let me add this. He also got on KGR yeah, 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 yeah. Softy yeah. show. Softy show talking about it. Just some user Reddit that got enough trend on the internet where he got on Seattle Sports Radio. It was like some ESPN writers were talking about it. Like, could this be true? And it was all prank. He waited eight years to exact revenge and he wasted it on that. Yep. And he even wrote, I've been waiting eight years, seven days, five hours. <laughs> and now I got my revenge on the fail Mary. I mean, 
you got to respect the dedication, but I mean, he probably could have used it for better. <laughs> I know better. <laughs> My thoughts were too regular season game. Like, you know, if, if it was me, if I was a Packers fan, I'd be more upset watching my team uh, blow the blow the game in the NFC Championship. That's something yeah. I'd be a little more upset about. Oh, man. That was just a wild game. It, it was funny. Uh, Miles Garrett would have helped us. I would have enjoyed that. Well, it would have been funny if Miles Garrett jumped on, like, let's go. You know, like, if he didn't, <laughs> he didn't know, like, it was fake and he's right. doing interviews, that's what it would have been, you know, comical about the whole situation. Oh, I know. <laughs> Well, I got one, one more this season question. Um, what would you say your prediction is for the Seahawks this year? Well, you, I know. I know. I know. Well, what, you want to talk to the division? Yeah. Okay. Who do you got? What, what's your outlook on the division? My outlook is. I got the Seahawks winning the division. I think they won it last year. I think the 49ers are going to be right there behind them. I got the Rams at third, and I got the Cardinals last. But you see it down here? I see it down here, man. And I'm only going to say because, okay, they lost a couple pieces. You know, Buckner, that's a huge piece to miss up front. You know, he's productive, a lot of pressure. But, um, you know, losing that Super Bowl, man, it takes a lot of wind out of your sails. And just from, you know, you play a month or two longer than everybody else, so you don't have as much time to recover from those injuries. And then you're going into a season with the target just squarely on your back. Just they, they know everyone's giving you your best shot. And, like, man, I'll remember that 06 season. It was, you know, we went, I think, 10 and 6, and it was – it was some, you know, tough climbing, man. That was, you know, everyone's best shot week in, week out. And, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond from that. And then, um, and then, you know, losing the game in that fashion, um, just you wondered, well, if it comes to a critical point in the game down the road, will those thoughts creep back in? And, you know, the, I don't want to say self-imploding, but just, you know, the little critical errors that can make a difference, you know, show up and rear its ugly head. But, you know, you know, media is going to talk about it, you know, regardless yep. of because I remember for us, like when that happened, it just and that's their job. But um, so you're you're you know, you got the, uh, the magnifying glass on you and the target, you know, on your back in terms of everybody's best shot. It's going to be interesting. And that little dude, Kyler Murray down in the desert, yep. man, he was giving a, a lot of people fits. They got Drake back. They got um, Hopkins, who, you know, one of the best receivers, you know, of the last decade. Um, so I, I'd watch out for them, man. That's who I'm really probably most worried about, especially after them coming up here in week 15 or 16, you know. And um, Kyler Murray, man, he's a problem. Yeah, yeah I, I have them. They're my sleeper team get, heading into the season after the draft. I really like what they did. And I like their coach, Kingsbury. I think he has – He's innovative, man. We have a lot of good coaches in this division, but uh, I have them as my sleeper team to actually finish second in the division. But yeah, I, I have a tough one And McVay, I really like McVay and how he, you know, handles his business down there in LA. But mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of free agents, you know, uh, allow everybody's pointing to Gurley. I point to Corey Littleton, who was the signal caller on the defense. You know, that's right. a 
for me, that's a harder piece to replace given the production of the last, you know, two years or so from yeah. both players. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it'll definitely be interesting, but I, you know, I really like where we're headed and, you know, the team that we have going into the season. Yeah, same here. And I think, I think this is the year Russ gets the MVP award. I, I think he's, can, he's due for it. Can we please? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Zero we career that, votes. We got to start that now for him to win. Yeah. We got to start <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane. I, I think Bleacher Report put out a post about it yesterday, and everyone's talking about it again. But it's been a trending topic. The guy has zero career MVP votes, and that's pretty crazy. It's 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 a yeah. I know not everyone knows this. Yes, I had some friends message me yesterday saying, "Is this true?" We're talking guys. You know, Derek Carr has MVP votes. Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. There's a lot of guys that get a vote or two, right? Russell yeah. Wilson has zero MVP votes, and if you just look at He's been arguably, I know some people disagree with this, but he's at least the first through third, somewhere in the top three best quarterbacks in the last like five years of the NFL. To have zero MVP votes and just playing the way he's playing and, and winning every single season, it's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> well, you guys, let's start the campaign now. What, what does Russ always say? Why not us? We need yep. to start the campaign. Why not Russ? Why yeah, not Russ? Oh, I like that. Good. Let's make go and make those shirts, man. I got it. Why not Russ? We'll we'll, we'll post that with the podcast uh, today too on, on yeah. the hashtag. Why not Russ? We'll get that trending. Yeah, there you go. Now all of a sudden like he's that. in the MVP race, right? Yeah, <laughs> he should be. We we'll gotta get bu- we gotta get bumper stickers from everyone's cards too. We'll get it all. We'll get it. I like that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. I mean. It's a pleasure, and and we're you know I'm like we said like I said earlier I'm glad that uh, you have found a passion after after football too, and I, it was fun just hearing you talk about it because you can just tell you're really passionate about it and and helping others, and it's really exciting. And uh, we always love talking to you know talking to Seahawks former Seahawks. It's pretty exciting, and and you know I, I love this team. Um, it's always awesome talking to guys like you. You hear about how much you love the city and you love the Seahawks and. I just think it's awesome that I, you never really hear people talk bad about the organization or anything. It's always positive and I'm glad to be part of the Seahawks family. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that once again. Hey fellas, I appreciate you having me on. Um, we'll do it again sometime. And uh, until then, stay blessed. And you too, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you and your family are doing well during these times. All right. Send you, brother. Awesome. Care, Thank man. you. Take care. All right. And that was a, uh, Former All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, Lofa Tatupu. Um, fun podcast, George. Oh, a lot of fun. What a great guy. Awesome. Well, episode 30 of the Seattle Super Pod. You can find this right there at the top of the screen. That being said, podcast. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, this was live on Twitter and Facebook. So follow us at Son Seattle. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok there. Uh, brought to you by Sports on Tap. You can find us at sonsports.com or for the Seattle page, you can find us at sonsseattle.com. That's S-O-N-T-Seattle.com. George? What's up, man? People ask always, what does Son stand for? And what do we tell them? It stands for Sports on Tap. And this is Sports Radio. Redefined. Peace.